This podcast is sponsored by Primal Kitchen Restaurants, providers of fast, casual dining experiences where taste and the freshest ingredients always come first. To learn more about franchise opportunities, visit PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com. That's PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hey listeners, welcome to the show. It's Brad Kearns here with a very interesting guest who's going to talk about some amazing technology. His name is Chuck Hickson of Avacor is the company name. You guys are out of Michigan, right, Chuck? Right. We're out of Michigan. We were founded in, uh, um, in Palo Alto and moved to Michigan. Um, and you're going to tell us about cooling technology and how it affects the brain and the body and the amazing uh, recovery and performance benefits you can get. Right. Um, it's, and I want to be specific. It's a core body cooling technology. Um, you know, everyone thinks uh, when their skin's cool, they're cool. But actually, you don't have any um, temperature sensors to speak of in your core body. And so you could be burning up inside and feel perfectly cool because you splash cold water in your face. So what we are doing is actually cooling down the part of your body where it counts, your core body, your essential organs, and your brain, which, um, you know, when these things get hot, uh, too hot, they're dangerous. You can uh, become damaged or die. Um, And uh, certainly uh, any amount of heat starts to... um, make you sweat, and it also uh, makes you irritable, and you lose cognitive function pretty quickly. So uh, being hot is um, not a good thing. Um, being too hot is really not a good thing. So um, we, are, we, are, we are doing this by um, directly accessing the core body through some amazing physiological things that were uh, discovered by our co-founders at Stanford. Right. I first heard about you and looked you up because I read the Stanford study and I simply could not believe it. It was it was just incredible to believe. So um, we know about the dangers of getting overheated and, and all that. But what caught my eye was the uh, impact on performance and the immediate impact on performance by sending a cooling message to your central nervous system. Right. It's well, it's more than a cooling message. We, we are actually cooling your core body. And um, what, what they found at Stanford in, in many years of testing is, and this has been borne out now um, at, at other laboratories, but the limiting factor to the ability to do work, or in the case of athletics, uh, endurance, work out longer, harder, play harder, the limiting factor is the buildup of heat. And there is a, um, I don't know how scientific you want me to get, but I suspect that a lot of people uh, will be familiar with this. But um, there's an enzyme, I I won't get into all the fancy words, but there's an enzyme that um, in the uh, metabolic process that changes shape um, 
And when it changes shape, it doesn't work. And what happens is when you start to get overheated and you get too hot, this enzyme changes shape and stops the metabolic process in that cell. So it can no longer, that muscle fiber can no longer contract. It stops working until it gets cooled down to the point where that enzyme can go back to its normal shape and make the metabolic process uh, operate the way it should. This actually happens at a part in the metabolic process where it's a break-even in terms of energy in and energy out. So you quite literally run out of energy in that cell. When that happens in enough of your cells, you get fatigued. And in fact, if it happens in a whole bunch of those cells in a particular muscle, you get cramps. So if we can cool that down safely and quickly, that cell can continue to function. And that's what we do. We cool down your core body. Once your core body's cooled down, it redistributes that cooled blood to the rest of your muscles that are working. And it allows you typically uh, 20 to 25% uh, longer workout first time you use it. Now, it's not magic. You still have to do the long workouts. I know people use it and say, well, gee whiz, I used it after I exercised and I didn't get any better. Well, it's great for post-exercise because it, um, it, you know, it cools you down. You're not hot in the shower afterwards. Um, it makes you feel better, more relaxed. But quite frankly, it's, its greatest use for athletics in particular is you can train harder. Um, I mean, some of the amazing things you saw um, in the Stanford study is um, used over a six-week period. People can do over 600 pull-ups. <laughs> um, so, know, yeah, one of, the, um, one of the researchers in the study, right, he, right. he was able to do 180 pull-ups at a single workout, which is quite impressive. So it sounds like a really fit guy. Well, that was early in the workout. That's yeah. before they, That's actually before he started training with core control. He right. actually got it up to over 600 pull-ups in sets of 50 um, after six weeks of training. <laughs> so this is, um, just to back up a little bit from the start, where we know if you're out in the desert and you're, you're chopping logs and you, you get overheated and um, you, know, you could get in big trouble. But this overheating can occur during a routine workout in the gym. Right. And I mean, it's just a degree of overheating. I don't think people typically get dangerously overheated in the gym. But if you're working out and you're sweating, you're overheated. Um, and I guess this fits in great with the, with the primal blueprint. I mean, this is just a basic mammalian function, survival, okay? And sweating is not a good survival strategy. It's the last thing your body wants to do because if you think of it from an evolutionary standpoint, you're giving up water and electrolytes, two things that were scarce to our primal ancestors. So your body doesn't want to sweat. It has to sweat for evaporative cooling. What we like to do is you're sweating. We can, uh, we can remove that heat, and often you will quit sweating, but you'll be feel refreshed and able to go back to your workout after only a couple minutes of cooling. Right. So this uh, subject from the study um, who was able to do 180 pull-ups at a max effort and then started using the cooling glove and was able to get up to 620 in a right. single workout. And so right. I guess what did he do? He did his sets and then he stuck his hand into the cooling glove? Right. He, he cooled for three minutes between sets as he was working out. And uh, it's quite amazing. I mean, he would do 50 pull-ups, which, you know, that's a, a good feat in and of itself. 
he'd cool for three minutes, he'd do 50 more. And he would keep doing that until he couldn't do any more. And after, um, he quit after six weeks. I think he, he had better things to do. But um, he proved the point that uh, training for six weeks with the three-minute cooling between sets allowed him what seems like a superhuman feat. Um, so what's the, what's the explanation there? Are we getting into, um, the, uh, the, the central nervous system thinking that you're recovered and then allowing your muscles to perform? No, no. no, you're not thinking you're recovered. You are recovered. So the muscles that did the work, the lats, the biceps, the triceps, when they do the uh, set of 50 pull-ups, or we'll say 12 pull-ups for an average person who's, who's um, thinking about this, right? So you right. do your pull-ups, and after 9, 10, 11, and 12, and then you're exhausted, the muscles are shaking, and you have to drop from the bar. Right. So, go, go cool for three minutes and go back. <laughs> You'll almost certainly do another 10 or 12, and you can keep doing that. And it's that training effect of being able to keep doing it that allows you these amazing gains over time. So on your very first workout, you know, if you're getting hot, and I should add, if you're not getting hot, it doesn't do a darn thing. The physiological process, um, which we should probably get into, might make it clearer, but the physiological process shuts down. You can't cool yourself if you're not hot. This thing won't allow you to get colder than normal. Right, right. So Part of the reason that you fatigue and drop from the bar or finish your last uh, rep and you can't do anymore is the actual overheating of the muscles involved, is what you're saying. Right. And There's, it's, it's, that, it's that metabolic enzyme that's in, it's in your mitochondria, in your, in your muscle cells, that that uh, changes shape. Uh, the technical term is it allosterically regulates it. You know, an enzyme is like a lock and key. It makes, uh, it, it makes a chemical reaction go faster at a, a lower energy level. And your body's filled with enzymes. This is a kind of a tricky enzyme because it doesn't, it doesn't um, at the temperatures that we live at, it doesn't uh, denature and become useless. It just changes shape. Now the lock doesn't go in the key, so to speak. And the whole reaction shuts down, and you can't make any more energy. So heat is a huge factor in the short run. I mean, I suppose if you uh, – none of us are starving to death. We all probably carry around too much weight. But, um, you know, in a survival uh, standpoint, um, uh, you might run out of glu- glycogen and fat reserves. But, I mean, living in the United States, uh, we all have plenty of nutrition – so in the short term, we're not going to run out of nutrients. What we're going to run out, what's going to happen is we're going to get overheated and we can't perform any longer. Okay, so uh, when I'm working out in the gym or, or doing the pull-ups or whatever the example is, uh, running sprints, for example, um, you know, I feel a little warm after my, after my effort, but I'm not boiling up and feeling like I'm about to collapse. So is this sensation sort of subtle that the overheating of the muscle is not readily apparent, um, but that's what's right. going on inside? You know, that's a great question because, and that gets back to when we opened and talking about skin temperature and the sensation of coolness. Because we're cooling your core body directly, you'll have a little bit of a cool sensation on your hand, but um, the real effect will be that you will... Um, probably stop sweating, not always, but probably stop sweating in three minutes, and you will feel refreshed. 
And you will find if you go back to whatever activity you were doing, bench presses, sprints, pull-ups, whatever you were doing, you will find you will be able to do more. And typically, double-digit, you know, 20 25% more than you ever have before. So, and, you know, do that over time, and the training effect is, is uh, it snowballs, and the results are phenomenal. Um, and you're not risking uh, overtraining or overuse of the muscles. You're not going to wake up next day. I mean, if I tried to go from 180 to 620 pull-ups in six weeks, um, you know, theoretically on the surface of that, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that rate of improvement without, you know, falling apart or something. Well, two things in what you said. I, I always recommend that you use it post-workout because it always feels nice to be cool and refreshed post-workout. And uh, I, I personally uh, think that it, um, you know, it, it makes your recovery better. It brings your heart level down. It soothes you, okay? But I have to say that like any activity, if, you, if it starts to hurt, stop doing it. I mean, yeah, you can overtrain with or without uh, our uh, device, um, it's totally possible to overtrain having never cooled. It's totally possible to overtrain using it. So um, this doesn't eliminate the need for, you know, pay attention to your body. And if something hurts, don't do it. Oh, sure. I was more more suggesting, like, is it going to trick you and you're not going to have any sign of, um, I, I guess it would, it would be like, um, you know, taking some stimulant and going and doing twice as much as you normally do, and then paying no. for it the next day. You know what I mean? No. Um, in fact, I, I, dare, I would propose that if you use it post-exercise, you'll, you'll certainly probably feel better the next day than you normally would. I don't have a scientific study to point to that, but I have all that that's their experience. Um, oh. In particular, a gentleman named Patrick, Patrick Cox, who's... Um, uh, writes for a uh, economic uh, Malden economic newsletter, and uh, he's had great recovery experience with it. But I, I got to emphasize, we're taking a normal bodily process, and we're just augmenting it naturally. We are not doing anything to fool the body. We're not doing anything to trick the central nervous system. This isn't a stimulant. We're just taking heat out of your body, and heat is what limits your performance in the short run. It's fascinating. And uh, speaking of post-workout, I mean, there are a ton of studies about uh, the use of cold water therapy or ice therapy, and uh, people have sworn by that for a long time. And um, getting that uh, body and, and mind back into a relaxed state and uh, stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system response after workout, um, you know, cooling down is a wonderful uh, experience to try to achieve after workout, and it will speed recovery. So um, that's not only three minutes uh, in between your sets of exercise to increase performance, but getting yourself quickly into a cool state after workout is, has huge implications for uh, peak performance and recovery. It, um, I mean, there's some. It, it, we know that in mice and laboratory rats. This hasn't been tested in humans yet, and we'll probably get around to doing that um, in the next year. But, um, you know, there's an inflammatory uh, cytokine called interleukin-6, and that's, what, that's largely what makes your muscles hurt. And when that, build, that builds up, um, it, when you become too hot, and um, 
the at least in laboratory um, mice, if they get hot and you um, give an insult to their body, such as a concussion or a um, you know to their muscles, like you would get after a workout. Don't ask me how you can cuss a mouse or give them, <laughs> but uh, but Poor I mean, little mouse. Some, somebody's figured it out, right? So, but um, if you you have about a ten to twenty minute window to um, get the body temperature down to normal, and your body won't produce as much interleukin six, and I'm talking about the mouse's body. It's theorized that this is absolutely the same thing that happens in humans, because obviously mice and humans are mammals and. A lot of mammalian physiology, particularly the basics, are the same. But I can't say with uh, scientific veracity that's 100% true in humans because it hasn't been tested to my knowledge. Well, yeah, you have the anecdotal uh, people saying they feel cool and, and better after workouts. So for now, that sounds good. And we've, we've gone um, quite a length of time without talking about the actual technology of how it works and how you... Um, how the palm is such an important area of the body to exchange heat. So let's talk about that a bit. Sure. Um, and I maybe go back through the history of it a little bit. Um, our co-founders at Stanford, uh, were um, they're biologists and very smart guys. And they um, ha- it started with a simple question. How do these large mammals like polar bears, for instance, um, they're covered with fat and insulation? How do they, in that same body, hibernate, and you know their body temperatures go almost to a freezing, and then that same mammal can pop up on a spring day and run across the tundra and you know capture a seal and eat it? How does that same bear in that same body, what do, what's it do with all the excess metabolic heat that it creates? Well, mammals um, all have these specialized radiator structures or thermal portals. As a warm-blooded creature, we're always dumping heat, but we've evolved as giant thermos bottles. Um, Bears, uh, in particular, have a lot of fat and a big fur coat on all the time. And uh, what uh, became very clear watching uh, bears, in particular, running across the tundra is their um, paws and their noses and their mouths and their ears heat up. And they, what they're doing is they're taking the excess metabolic heat that they're building up, and it's being emitted through these uh, radiator structures. Um, how that happens in human beings is in these, you can consider these radiator structures, they're almost like an undiscovered organ, if you will, working in concert. They have, um, it's the palms of your hands, the soles of your feet, and the non-hairy portions of your face, basically your forehead and below your eyes. And what happens is when you get overheated, your hypothalamus detects that you're becoming overheated, and this happens even before you start to sweat. And obviously, furry animals can't sweat, so it's even more important for them. But before you even start to sweat, your hypothalamus signals these specialized valves. They're called arterial venous anastomoses, or AVAs for short. It signals them to open, and they shunt the normal arterial blood flow from, from the normal flow to the palms of your hands and these other radiator structures so that that, that heated blood can exchange heat with the atmosphere, and then the cooler blood will return directly back to your core body and help regulate the temperature. When the temperature then becomes normal, 
those AVAs, those valves shut down, and your blood goes back to its normal flow. So what, what we've done is we augment that um, natural process. All mammals do this. Uh, it varies where the radio structures are, but all mammals selectively emit excess metabolic heat this way. So you, you're uh, radiating heat into the atmosphere to cool yourself. Um, I guess it would depend on how warm it is outside. You're going to be less effective if you're out there in 100-degree heat trying to cool yourself from sweating. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is where the, the glove comes in uh, to interact directly upon those critical and very temperature-sensitive AVAs. Right. And... Um what, um, how we do that is we augment that process. Um, and it's interesting, but, uh, you know, your body has a, uh, a response to uh, cold stimuli and it wants to vasoconstrict. I mean, if you've ever dove into an ice cold pool, I mean, right away, everything shrinks up and goes in and, you know, you go into like this, you pull your arms into your side, you go into this this um, automatic response, and, and so does your skin and everything. Those radiator structures actually quit working. Um, uh, and so just dipping your hand in ice water won't help. It'll close down a radiator structure. And if you think about the fact that you probably have shoes on, so that one's not emitting too much heat to the atmosphere, you might, if you're playing football or have a hat on, uh, you, your forehead might not be emitting heat to the atmosphere. So you might already be at just two good working radiators, the palms of your hands. And if you're wearing gloves, maybe even those aren't working so hot. So if you shut one of those down, uh, you might not feel immediately hotter because, again, your core body does not have uh, temperature sensors in it to speak of, just your skin. So um, you could shut down one of those radiators and actually have your core temperature shoot up. Um, and we've seen that uh, with uh, laboratory subjects working out very hard uh, and getting their core body temperature to raise in a, uh, a heated room on a treadmill, mm -hmm. and then going directly from that room to a 62-degree uh, air-conditioned room. And their core body temperatures actually go up even though they've gone into a colder room because they've shut down their radiator structures. Uh, because so, it's, uh, too, um, it's too, too cold. cold? It's too cold. So the same with sticking your hand. Instead of buying uh, a cooling glove, I'm going to try an ice bucket and stick my right. hand in there between workouts. Yeah, it's way too cold. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you just, you're, um, you're going to just uh, vasoconstrict um, those AVA structures. They're not going to radiate heat. And um, you, you're, uh, you, you actually are going to raise your body temperature in those situations, which is the exact opposite of what you're trying to do. I need to make a very important distinction here, though, because there are um, heat safety protocols, and they're very important and this device isn't for heat emergencies. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the, uh, the absolute most effective heat safety protocol um, is uh, total immersion in ice water. And you say, well, gee, doesn't that vasoconstrict the body? Yes, it absolutely does. But it's such an overwhelming thermal load that it is hands down the fastest way to cool somebody who's in a serious heat situation. However, that's just not a real convenient thing to do for people who are trying to work out harder is to dive into the ice water for five minutes between sets. So uh, the alternative is to use our device. So with the, the glove... Um it's not too cold because you're trying to uh, 
enhance or you said augment the natural cooling mechanisms but not shut down those sensors right. with a shock. Right. And it's a, it's a very carefully controlled thermal load. Um, we do use um, ice and water in our unit as our thermal source, but uh, it does not circulate the ice water to your hand. It uh, mixes it with the water that's in the system already, and uh, it delivers a, a mild thermal load that will not vasoconstrict you. Um, and that's typically around 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's because it's circulating through a, what we call a perfusion pad. So this is a pad that water is circulating constantly through it. It at that um, what seems like a pretty high temperature in the 60s is actually the perfect temperature, and it's circulating that water to constantly take away heat. If you were just having it static where the water wasn't circulating, it wouldn't remove as much heat. And you think about this. I mean, when you're moving fast through water, you dump more heat than if you're just standing still. Because when you're standing still, your body heats up the water around you. Well, the same thing's true with your hand. So mm. you have the circulating water. Now, again, your hand's not getting wet. It's on top of a pad that's circulating it. And then, uh, and that's one big key factor, but that coupled with a mild vacuum so your hands in, the, the device is like basically a mini vacuum chamber that circulates water. And that, that mild vacuum opens up those um, radiator structures, opens up the capillaries in them, and you get a tremendous increase in flow through, uh, through those capillaries. And so it's that combination of the exact right continuous thermal load with the mild vacuum. And I want to make a, a note about the, the level of the vacuum. When I say mild vacuum, uh, you know, technically it's 25 inches of water or just below one PSI for the technically inclined. Mm -hmm. For people more like myself, uh, I can relate to if you were to do a deep inhale through a straw, uh, you know, to take a drink of water or something, that's how mild the vacuum is. But it's that little bit of vacuum that makes all the difference. So through the portal, the wonderful portal of our hands, um, the glove is uh, having a direct impact on our core temperature, muscle temperature, brain, central well, nervous system. Yeah. I mean, your body is going to take care of what's most essential first. So what happens is it will cool your core. It cools your brain first because, I mean, that's the first thing that you, you cook your brain, you got big problems. So there's even a little mini system in your body that cools your brain first. And then it goes to your core organs, which is, um, you know, your heart, your lungs, uh, your liver, your kidneys. These are all very essential. And then uh, once those are uh, reaching normal temperatures, then that colder blood will start to perfuse throughout the body and get to your muscles. So uh, the quicker you start cooling down your core, the quicker your muscles can resume uh, going back to uh, functioning at their full rate. So I suppose, Chuck, that it depends on how hot the subject is, what the ambient temperature is, but what's the typical duration of a cooling glove session uh, out there? You know, in the... that, that's really an excellent question. And like with all things physiological, um, in nature, it's you get the classic, it depends. It depends on how hot it is out, depends on the size of the person's hands, their sensitivity to heat, how hard they were working out. The simple answer is you get benefit from the cooling, uh, from the RTX cooling or the core control cooling, either product. You get benefit the instant you stick your hand in it. 
okay? But um, a lot of the studies um, are done at using two- and three-minute uh, cooling intervals, and um, you will definitely notice a difference in your ability to go back uh, and do more work or, in the case of athletics, more endurance um, at a three-minute level. Um, I mean, if you're still hot and sweaty and, you know, go five minutes, um, the worst thing that can happen to you is you, you wasted, you know, another couple minutes, but you'll, you'll start to know because you'll feel, you'll feel the difference. You'll feel, the, you'll feel refreshed. You won't feel cold because, again, there's no... There's really no heat uh, sensing nerves in your core body. No one ever says, "Wow, my heart feels hot today." Um, your uh, your skin is where all your sensors are, but um, you will start to feel refreshed. You'll often stop sweating, and you'll be able to go back and hit it hard again. Wow! So you actually will have your hand in there for a few minutes and stop sweating when your temperature becomes regulated. Right. Uh, and so, and I, I say sweating because, I mean, that's one of the easiest things to observe. That might not happen in two minutes, or you might not be sweating when you put your hand in there. You know, you just maxed out doing bench presses, and you can't do another rep. Um, you don't always sweat, but sweating is a good, vis- good visible indicator. You know, um, and so your heart rate comes down, too. So, I mean, those are all sort of surrogate measures wow. for core body temperature. Um, and it's I, I know from the Stanford study that the AVAs are so temperature sensitive that it's unlikely that it's going to cool you down too much, correct? Yeah, it's actually physiologically impossible for this technology to make you colder than your normal temperature. Because what happens, you go back to the, the brains behind the operation, the hypothalamus detects that you are now at normal temperature. When you're at normal temperature, it shuts down these little AVA valves that are shunting the blood to the surface. And so you're no longer um, cooling that blood by shunting it to the surface. And the whole process shuts down, and now all you're doing is putting, you know, a 60-degree thermal load on your palm. All you're doing is making your skin cold. Uh, you're, not, you're not sending cold blood back to the um, to the core body. So it is quite impossible from a physiological standpoint to get colder than normal. So you might ask yourself, gee, how are you going to get these uh, amazing uh, endurance gains uh, simply by removing heat? And the answer actually happens on a cellular level. As your body's evolved, it's an, it's an amazing mechanism, organism. It, um, when you get hot, and this is even before you start to sweat, um, your, as your temperature increases, you start to feel fatigued and tired. And that's because your body at a cellular level cannot produce energy as it was doing prior to being overheated. There's actually a metabolic enzyme called pyruvate kinase, and that enzyme changes shape as it gets heated up. Mm-hmm. So as it heats up, you know, enzymes like the lock and key, you know, from your high school biology, and it makes reactions go faster. Well, the, the key, the enzyme, changes shape and doesn't work when it gets too hot. If it gets too hot, it denatures and you die. But um, in normal, um, you know, conditions that we experience, when it gets too hot, it stops the metabolic process at that point that's about break even. So the energy into the process and the energy outs break even. So you're not making any additional energy or adenosine triphosphate, I guess is the technical term. Mm-hmm. So if that happens 
in uh, a muscle cell, um, it, it can't make any more uh, energy, you know, it runs out of gas. You do that in a bunch of muscle cells and um, you get fatigued. You do it in too many of them and you'll probably get a cramp. They just can't operate. There's not enough things that, not enough uh, muscle cells that can actually uh, work. So what um, cooling your core body does and why you uh, have the ability to go right back at it is um, as you bring this metabolic enzyme back into its operating range, you can go back to producing more energy. It's that simple. It's just uh, it's making an enzyme that doesn't work at elevated temperatures work because you lowered the temperature. Well, right. It's the same thing that's going on when you recover uh, after a hard workout. And I know that um, the, the Stanford study and some of the literature is talking about using it right in the midst of action. But also, it seems like right after the workout is over, that's when you really want to get your body back to uh, a cooled homeostatic state. So um, is that a recommended use as well? Well, absolutely, Brad. You know, using it for three to five minutes post-workout, and I do mean post-workout, don't wait 15 or 20 minutes. There's uh, uh, some science that's been done in laboratory animals uh, and to my knowledge has not been done um, extensively with cooling in humans. Uh, we'll get around to that, I'm sure, soon. But um, there's a lot of evidence uh, that cooling post-workout um, um, tempers the production of an inflammatory cytokine, mm. um, fancy words for, hey, it makes you sore, and it, uh, it's uh, interleukin-6, IL-6. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of evidence uh, in non-human studies that cooling down uh, will um, limit the production of IL-6. I can tell you anecdotally that uh, I get uh, unsolicited reports all the time from top athletes telling me that, hey, this thing's great for workouts, but um, when I I use it post-workout, I just don't feel as sore. So I think, you know, um, there's something going on there. I can't point to a, a study that exists today. Maybe there is one. I haven't looked at studies for a while, but um, that is something to explore. And certainly I've uh, heard countless testimonials from some of my key users that, that it really helps them post-workout. So the, the worst it's going to do um, is, hey, you, you, when you take a shower, you're not going to be sweating afterwards. It'll be cool and comfortable. And, you know, uh, the best thing that'll happen is, hey, you might not be so sore. Oh, sure. And there's, there is a lot of uh, support for um, taking the cold water therapy, the ice baths and the cold plunges after workouts, the runners soaking their legs in the icy stream, um, because it's, it's, you know, it's stimulating that process and possibly protecting um, from the muscle damage caused by interleukin-6 and the other inflammatory processes that go on even after you stop working out. So very interesting. Okay, so this uh, technology has been battle-tested by some very important outfits, including the military and some professional sports teams, huh? Right. It, uh, the technology has actually been around since the early 2000s um, and then was um, adapted by the military, um, uh, actually perfected uh, research grant to Stanford University from DARPA, which is the... Uh, Defense Advanced Research and Planning Agency, actually the true uh, 
the true inventors of the internet. So they uh, they poured quite a bit of money into the research and and really proved out um, this science. And then it was patented by Stanford and exclusively licensed by our company Avacor. And um, this technology, uh, you know, went to war in Desert Storm and Afghanistan. Uh, and it was uh, very expensive and not terribly portable back in those days. Um, the, with the advent of the uh, RTX, it's now available to consumers for the first time. We've got just a, uh, a blue chip uh, list of some of the top uh, most successful uh, sports teams and uh, companies in the world. Um, I can start out with the 2014 German FIFA World Cup champions, the soccer team. Okay. They had over 20 of our units in Brazil uh, and used them successfully during the training uh, six months leading up to the World Cup, but also had 20 units in their locker room at halftime, um, and that was quite effective. Uh, A lot of NFL teams use them, uh, most notably the 49ers and the Seahawks. Uh, and the Rams and the Oakland Raiders. And, you know, the Seahawks use this technology um, as, as part of their program. And, um, you know, they've been in the last two Super Bowls and actually won one of them and probably would have won the second one if the coach made a little bit better call. Well, maybe he should have uh, had his hand in a glove when he was thinking about, <laughs> gee, I wonder you know, who I should give the ball to on this last play. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Uh, it was oh, pretty cold there, so he probably wasn't overheated. But um, And then uh, the Golden State Warriors uh, have used it for the past three seasons, and uh, it's often seen behind their bunch uh, covered with a towel. Wow. Um, and they just Secret, right? It's top secret. That's why I'm, well, I mean, I'm so surprised that you, know, you have a great list of um, teams and stuff that are using it, but it's like, why aren't all 30 NBA teams and all 32 NFL teams on there instead of just a handful? It's strange. Well, you you know? kind of hit on it. There's two reasons. One is if you've, got, if you've got something like that that really works, you don't want your competitors to know about it. <laughs> but also, you know, there's a lot of snake oil that goes around in, uh, in athletics, you know. People are, you know, there's a lot of superstition. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of old concepts. There's a lot of, hey, this has worked for us for 30 years. Why change? Um, but uh, the folks who have tried it and use it uh, swear by it. They don't go out of their way to tell everybody about it, and I don't blame them. If I had a competitive advantage, I'd keep it to myself as well. But this is all peer-reviewed, published science from Stanford and other leading institutions around the world. This is not uh, you know, some specious claim that's not verified. This is published independent research. Uh, if you'll notice, Avacor isn't listed uh, as spending any money on any of the research. This is just scientists doing their thing and saying, hey, here's how it works. Um, you know, we have Olympians, uh, Jonathan Garcia in particular, a 1,000-meter speed skater, uh, claims, uh, you know, he made the Olympic team using court control. Uh, Casey Patterson, beach volleyball, obviously you get hot playing that. We've got... Uh, one of the biggest mining companies in the world, Rio Tinto, uh, uses this extensively in open pit mining in Australia, where it can be 140 degrees wow. uh, in, in the shade. And then uh, the finalist on the Biggest Loser TV show, um, not just past season, but the season before, they've used it. Um, you know, you get hot when you're working out, particularly if uh, you're overweight. Um, you get hotter because you have more insulation and more mass to move around. So uh, it, it, uh, it was used by the finalists uh, on the Biggest Loser TV show. We've got a top uh, 
NCAA D1 uh, programs using it. I mean, LSU, Stanford, um, Ohio State has used it. Uh, the list goes on and on. And I mean, you can see a lot of the top teams uh, and industrial users like Exxon on our uh, website. Um, so to date, they've been using this Core Control Pro product, which is the um, the thousand dollar unit that's suitable for uh, large groups to use. But now with this um, this recent Indiegogo campaign, the RTX personal use product is coming to market. And with the campaign that you can access going to your company website, avacord.com, and then clicking on the Indiegogo link, you have a ton of great information on that page with the videos and the explanations. Uh, but apparently, well, so you can place and you can pre order it for the a discount price of $249 just for a limited time. Is that right? Right. Um, for the next uh, 30 days, I think we calculated September 10th, the campaign will end. Um, the the uh, normal price uh, will be three ninety nine, uh, but for this limited time on Indiegogo, you can buy it for two forty nine plus uh, a small freight charge, and uh, we will keep it at that price for the next thirty days for those of us those who support us on uh, Indiegogo. The uh, Core Control Pro model, which is the model that all the uh, all these blue chip industrial and um, the military and the um, the uh, sports teams all use that costs nine hundred and ninety five dollars and that thing is uh that thing is built to be sideline tough i mean you can you can really abuse that uh, product because it has a steel case inside and it has replaceable hand pod and it's uh it's meant for group use and uh the uh personal model um uh, is really meant for personal use um it, it wouldn't do well in a group setting well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Chuck, and I'm so glad that now the uh, the average enthusiast who, especially it seems like someone who has to deal with uh, high temperatures in their outside environment, but actually anyone who wants to improve performance can now get their hands on one of these things. So we're going to try to get this published quickly because I know you have a time-sensitive campaign there, which it sounds like it'll expire around September 10th. So definitely get over to avacore.com, A-V-A-C-O-R-E.com. Click on the um, the prominent sign for the Indiegogo fundraising campaign, which you were trying to get um, twenty five grand and you got twenty six thousand in one day. Is that is that right? Yeah, that actually <laughs> about eighteen eighteen hours. And you know we'll wow. blast way past that. We're sure of it. But we just we just wanted to get it under our belt and get the word out. So that's happening. Chuck Hickson from Avacor, thank you so much for spending time on the Primal Blueprint podcast and talking about the amazing new cooling glove technology. Um, we'll put this stuff in the show notes, but jump over to avacor.com right now and get your hands on uh, a new RTX individual unit for that introductory price. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Brad Kearns, for the Primal Blueprint podcast. Got a passion for Primal? Join Mark Sisson on a mission to save the world. Become a Primal Blueprint certified expert today. With our dollar down payment program, it's easier than ever. Just pay $1 to start and $89 a month for the next 12 months. The Primal Blueprint Expert Certification is the most comprehensive online Primal Paleo certification program of its kind. Explore the fascinating world of ancestral health from the comfort of your own home with this premier multimedia experience. 
perfect for health and fitness professionals, as well as individuals looking to up-level their primal practice. Visit primalblueprint.com slash get hyphen certified to put a dollar down today.